0: Welcome to the BTD Consulting Alliance Matters podcast. Uh, Today, we're joined by Julie Little and Steve Wedge of Cancer Research UK to talk about some of the exciting new things going on at CRUK, and in particular, their new focus through Cancer Research Horizons on new approaches to innovation in the cancer space in oncology. Very often when people talk about strategic alliances, they create sort of a bilateral picture, one company with another company bringing things together. And and for simplistic purposes, that's a useful model because you can begin to understand the interaction of the two companies. The reality, however, is a lot more complex. Uh, Very few alliances these days, particularly complex alliances around drug development and things like that, only involve two parties. Um, There's science, but there's also things like risk and financing and various other things. And there's also, as a drug moves through the pipeline, there are different sets of capabilities required. Cancer Research UK, at least I've conceptualized, as almost a catalyst for things that might not otherwise happen or might not otherwise happen the way they do. And uh, in discussions that we've had, uh, de-risking is a big topic. And when we get later in the podcast, Julie and Steve will talk a little bit about that and give some specific examples. But right now, I'd like to introduce our our two featured guests today um, from Cancer Research UK. First of all, Julie Little. Julie is the Associate Director who is leading the Strategic Alliance's team within the newly formed Cancer Research Horizons. Julie, would you like to uh, say a bit about yourself?
1: Thank you, Nick. Uh, Yes, so I work within Cancer Research Horizons, which is the recently launched Innovation Engine and in Cancer Research UK, as you alluded to, very proud to work for this organisation. Um, in my current role, I'm the Associate Director leading our Strategic Alliances team, which has a portfolio of over 11 strategic alliances with pharma and biotech and academia, bringing us all together. Um, I also sit on the leadership teams of both Cancer Research Horizons for the commercial organisation and for the laboratories. And prior to joining uh, this organization, I spent many, many years in industry, over 25 years working for both Unilever and Genzyme in discovery research, predominantly antibody technology, and then transitioned into business development and find myself now in this uh, exciting position of alliance management. So, thank you.
0: Thanks, Julie. And, and you know, Julie, you bear out something that I think people have noticed over the years that Generally, people who get into alliance management are people who've who've excelled in some technical discipline um, and then are found to be able to uh, do something to make alliances work better. So thanks for that background. Um, Steve Wedge is the chief scientific officer of therapeutic innovation at Cancer Research Horizons and one of the drivers of the the innovation engine that is Cancer Research Horizons. Steve, um, a little bit about yourself, please.
2: Yes, thank you, Nick. Um, So I. As chief scientific officer, obviously I'm involved in bringing together academics and industry and trying to form those partnerships, um, which I guess we'll talk about later. I would describe myself as a a cancer pharmacologist and drug discoverer. I've been working in this area in oncology for over 30 years now. Um, I've been fortunate to work on programmes that have realised candidate drugs, 12 candidate drugs, I think seven into clinical development and one of them became a registered drug. I did most of that, um, well, a lot of that in the early phase within AstraZeneca, um, for where I worked for 16 years. And then for the last 10 years, um, I've worked in academia, working um, as running a Cancer Research UK-funded academic drug discovery group, uh, and then, then moved
0: into this new organization that's been built. Thank you, Steve. It, it, it is, I think, the, the recent few years have made people much more aware and sensitive to the pharmaceutical industry and the the really critical role that plays in the lives of so many folks, uh, whereas you know the two of you have uh, have a good deal of experience. I mentioned in the intro that CRUK Cancer Research UK is is a different kind of a critter. Um, Steve, could you say a little bit about what Cancer Research UK is and what role it plays in this cancer space?
2: Yes, I mean it's it is uh, the leading cancer charity and actually the largest medical research charity uh, in the world. And on a yearly basis, it funds somewhere in the region of about 400 million pounds. I guess that's about half a billion dollars um, on world class research, looking at all aspects. So it's looking at um, very early intervention, prevention, um, how to treat cancers. And it funds about 4000 scientists, doctors um, and medical staff. So it's really comprehensive as a charity, its work. Um, and it was started from, actually, there were two major charities in the UK, the, the Imperial Cancer Research Fund and the Cancer Research Campaign. They go back, they have a, a history um, in the early 1900s, but they merged 20 years ago to form Cancer Research UK. Um, and the work that it's done today has helped us uh, already save millions of, of lives. Um One of the objectives of CRUK is to really change the curve on patient survival. Um, So in in the UK, um, two in four people survive their cancer now for 10 years, but it wants to change that um, so that three in four people will survive it um, by maybe 2034, that sort of time frame. So it's really trying to shift the curve on on,
0: um, patient survival and prevention of cancers. Those are exciting numbers, Steve. Um, Julie, can you give a sense for some of the uh, some of the things that CRUK has helped to spur in an innovative way and and some of the effects it's had?
1: Sure. So Steve mentioned that 400 million pounds worth of research funding that we provide annually. Uh, And through that, we have exclusive rights to what is generated from that funding, um, which means that we're a really powerful partner in being able to fight and conquer cancer. Um, And through this, our commercial partnerships team has really played an instrumental role in bringing 11 new cancer drugs to the market born out of that research. Um, This includes such drugs as the prostate cancer therapy, abiraterone, and uh, the PARP inhibitor drugs such as Olaparib and Recaparib um, that prevent cancer cells from repairing themselves and approved for multiple indications, including breast, ovarian, And prostate cancers. And even more than that, the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines includes 24 cancer drugs that CRUK has actually had an involvement in to date. Um, Beyond that, I mean, we are the the second biggest oncology outlicenser globally behind MD Anderson. Um, We've formed over 60 spin out companies that have gone on to raise a considerable amount of uh, funding, 2.3 billion in investment. And a real, uh, very tangible impact of all this is the fact that we have been uh, responsible for over six million doses of drugs that have been developed um, and given uh, to patients worldwide. So, yeah, some really significant uh, impact there.
0: It certainly sounds like it. Uh for a lot of people who aren't inside the industry, I say there's a there's sort of a, a simple view of what, what drug development looks like. Could you know, Steve, you or you, Julie, say a little bit more about how CRUK plays in that space in terms of spurring innovation? Because you're not a pharmaceutical company yourselves.
2: I think it's about convening the right people at the right times. Um, so we, we fund that world class research. But what we're doing, particularly with this new inter, um, this new organisation, is to really integrate with academics at a very early stage and think about what they're doing and trying to advise on if it's going to be translationally relevant. You may need to think about that. And we also, on the other hand, then partner with industry as well. And we can bring together those teams from the outset of world leading academics with industry or we work with the academics and then build something a little bit more um, well-developed and, and try to partner that. But it is all about teamwork. I think that's the biggest thing about drug discovery. Um, and so we're we're trying to work within what's co- been called an ecosystem, I guess, and fill that translational gap between the very academic and the very industrial. And we need the industrial um, people to be part of this because when you get to the later stages of drug discovery, it, it requires an awful lot of investment, you know, suddenly, when you've got um, a process um, and a a target to work against, you will need a lot of effort right in the late stages to get exactly the right product and take that to market. Um, And so, you know, I think it's a very important position that we um, that we have to be able to sort of translate and and broker and form um, new
0: science, which is therapeutically relevant. Steve and Julie, well, both of you have extensive experience in the process itself in industry. Um, at, at one level, oh, we bring academics and, and business together. But those are two very different worlds with very different sets of expectations and sometimes uh, even distrusts of each other. Um, Julie, could you say a little bit, you know, you're coming from industry, how that might have helped you and helped CRUK to be effective in its role?
1: I mean, I guess that's part of the excitement of bringing the different cultures together and the different um, capabilities and expertise. And it's really that that mix, um, the, the highly innovative novel research that the, the academics bring forward, blue sky research, and perhaps the more focused uh, drug discovery, drug development capabilities of pharma. And it's that um, powerful combination that really makes this successful but as the alliance manager it's very much about managing the expectations of the two partners and giving people the space and freedom to be able to you know draw on their key strengths and and um, contribute great
0: well I know that from the discussions we've been having Julie at first and now Steve you've come into them over the last year that this inception or, or commissioning of Cancer Research Horizons is an exciting new chapter for Cancer Research UK. Uh, and there's some real a lot of effort, a lot of thought, um, a lot of investment went into putting it in place. Um, Steve, can you say a little bit about what Cancer Research Horizons is? I mean, you refer to it as your new innovation engine. Um, what does that mean and how is that different than the previous 20 years of CRUK's success?
2: Yes, it's, it's very different because we used to have um, CEKs to fund independent drug discovery units um, and they were very collegiate and interactive, but they really had their own agendas and they they worked independently. Um, with the new organisation, we brought all of that together under one roof. So it's a very integrated single organisation with a single leadership team. And that encompasses about um, just over 200 drug discovery scientists. Um and it has capabilities for looking at small molecules and for um, biologics. Um, so that's that's really changed. It, I think it's a it's a really good opportunity to look strategically about how you operate at scale when you're uh, an organisation like that. Um, and of course now that organise that that is the organisation that is um, trying to embed itself with the world class science that's being done in academic laboratories. And we're putting more emphasis on that. We're building teams to integrate with our, our PIs in academia, um, and really try and get those discussions uh, moving. Um, and we're also looking at new funding mechanisms as well, just for very early stage ideas, perhaps that wouldn't have been funded traditionally. So they could be about examining where the new target's going to come from in a particular de- disease area. Um, how do you do that? And what's, you know, what's the technologies you use? And what should we fund in that space? Um, and I think by by doing that, you build this trust. I mean, you, you talked about the differences between academia and, and industry, and being on both sides, I've been I've heard them be called the dark side from both perspectives. Um, I think it's breaking that down and trying to to build trust and real collaborative teams. That's that's what it's about. Um, and then it comes back really to our function. I think you mentioned it earlier. Nick was about De-risking. I mean, this is a really complex area, and so what we aim to do within those teams is de-risk very early target biology, um, and and trying to see whether it is therapeutically relevant. Uh, and that that's really the purpose of those those bits of work that we're trying to to get. Um, I also think if you look at our if you look at our website, we've got lots of nice snazzy branding, but The real emphasis, I I can't overemphasise this enough, is that it's entirely about patient benefit. The people who work for this organisation are really behind this because 100 100 percent of it, that's what it is. We don't have any shareholders or anything. This really is about um, trying to bring new therapies to patients. And if there are any returns on that, it gets ploughed straight back into the basic research um, with the academics, you know, to try and actually get more insights into cancer. So it's a, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of um, buy into this from everybody that works from it, that we're, we're trying to do the right thing and we're trying to enable that new science coming through
0: um, for the benefit of patients. Steve and Julie, I think for some of the listeners who won't be really deeply familiar with the pharmaceutical industry, they'll hear words like complexity and timeframe um, and not quite be able to understand them. When you talk about some of these early ideas, what does it t- How many? How much time and effort does it take from an early idea until um, you're changing that two out of four to three out of four? Until something's, you know, there are therapies available for patients. What what do those timelines look like? Oh, that
2: <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, you're you're talking you are you are talking something. You know, you're talking three to five years to maybe get something that you think is. Got to be in the clinic and tested then um, there's been something slightly faster than that and with other modalities you might be able to go faster but it's that sort of investment of time that scale it's not um you're going to think of something this week and we're going to try it out next week in patients so it does take a long time um but i think one of the one of the other perspectives on this is that um people use model systems in an academic lab Uh, And this isn't to be critical at all, but because we know that we're going to have to invest in this and put, you know, put lots of resources behind something. Probably our threshold and our bar for validating a target and and making sure that it's the right target, that we can technically interfere with it um, and that it's not going to be toxic generically to to the host as well. All of those aspects, we put an awful lot of effort into that. Uh, And I think some. Sometimes people don't are not very aware of that, and so it's not you know it's tr- to try and share why why we do that, but also how we do that, um, and so that they can see that really we come from a different perspective just because of the importance we we place on
0: something when we start working on it. So why does this matter to your partners? Okay, so you know clearly, uh, CRUK works through facilitating, setting up, managing, de-risking, to use the term you use, partnerships. Uh, Why does the advent of Cancer Research Horizons matter to all of those organizations from academics through to public companies?
2: Um, Well, I think it's because we can um, tap them into novel biology. Um, We can probably give them perspectives on things that are outside their comfort zone or a little bit different so they can take a a little bit more risk Um, so it's that share being able to share risk i think is attractive to partners Um, and yeah i think i think also in those teams if we can form those teams right and make industry also feel connected, really connected into what we're doing and into the academic groups as well. That's a real benefit for them to get access to a world leading PI in an area of biology that they're potentially
0: interested in, you know, is is highly attractive. So you you can be an introduction to something they might not otherwise be comfortable moving into um, and and give them a way to begin to develop some capability there.
2: Yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, And it's that you know, that constant dialogue and, and openness to
0: to academics that we can help foster and be part of that team. And I'd imagine for both of you, the ability to speak the language of both sides helps in. Managing people's expectations and helping people to collaborate in more effective ways. I'm sure it,
2: I'm sure Julie would agree with that. It, it does. Yes, because we're, both, we're both in both bits, I think. So, yes.
1: Yeah. I mean I think to add to Steve what Steve was saying there as well. I mean I think everybody appreciates that cancer is such a complex disease and such a challenge to tackle. Um you know our models really enable us to be able to bring together the best minds the best set of expertise to really tackle that and uh you know take on new areas of science and really push the boundaries.
0: So Julie to that end, um, could you tell us a little bit about the pipeline at Cancer Research Horizons right now? I know there's some exciting things going on that you can talk about. Um, could you give the listeners a little bit of a sense for the um, interesting stuff you're working on, the challenging stuff you're working on? Um, mm. Life is not dull, I get the sense.
1: Definitely not. I mean, it's it's incredibly varied. So as I indicated at the beginning, we have a portfolio of uh, 11 strategic alliances at the moment. Um, they vary from... from some of our theme-based alliances, such as the alliance we have with uh, Merck um, on the Hippo pathway. Uh, We also have alliances that are based on platforms to enable academics to access different uh, modalities, such as the antibody platforms that we access through our antibody laboratory with AstraZeneca or our partnership with Abcam. We also have a functional genomics CRISPR facility that is also partnered uh, with AstraZeneca. And we really build those alliances to achieve the greatest uh, impact. And it, it involves bringing together all the partners, academia, industry, ourselves. We have our own laboratories um, right at the start of, of the, the partnership, and really taking the, the journey from that target identification phase right through to a later stage asset that could go into the through into development and into the clinic and steve i think was talking about the length of time it takes to actually develop compounds and potential drugs which speaks to the the nature of our alliances that they really are long-term initiatives so many of them are five years and the one that steve is going to refer to is going to be even longer than that um we have a a new partnership which is somewhat different um um, our newest one is one that we've just launched with uh, Oncode Institute. So that's a, a a virtual institute based in the Netherlands. We're very, very excited about this one. We're very aligned on our visions and ambitions uh, to tackle cancer and treat patients. And we are already actively working together on particular projects, collaborations, to really support the academics and translate their novel findings. Um, And looking at ways of sharing capabilities as well uh, and additional resources to accelerate that uh, translation
0: and i'd imagine this is part of the de-risking that you talk about when we first talked julie uh, probably close to a year ago um, you used this term de-risking and it's one that gets used different ways in different places but it's a it's a fascinating aspect to the role that CRUK and Cancer Research Horizons play. Um, Can you say a little bit about what it means to de-risk and and how you folks use your resources, your expertise, your personnel to do that?
1: Yeah, so bringing together the partners all together at the very beginning means that we've all bought into the same vision, goals, aims. We are all travelling together through that drug discovery, drug development process. There's no unpleasant surprises and when when challenges arise we really are working collaboratively to, to solve them. Um, but the fact that we have our own laboratories as well, the key strength of uh, Cancer Research Horizons really is the target validation expertise that we have within our laboratories. So we do a lot of that de-risking, um, taking the novel findings of, of academia. Um, and also de-risking a lot of the early technical drug discovery challenges encountered when we work on such novel areas. So we employ many different approaches to, to do that, to find early hit molecules um, that interfere with the uh, protein targets of interest. Um, and then I think because the, the, the nature of the alliances are the, the size of them as well, we work on multiple projects generally for each alliance. Which means that it increases the chances of at least one compound actually moving forward into development, because we do recognise that there is a a high attrition rate. So that's a, that's a really important um, aspect of how we form those alliances, and that's about bringing together multiple academics from multiple institutes all together under that one umbrella of the of the alliance. And I think the fact that academics are involved at such an early stage and they stay involved throughout the journey of the the alliance um they very often are able to bring on board additional um researchers clinicians from their network to help support you know the, the additional development so you end up with the the you know it's been greater than the sum of the individual Parts, if you like, sure. a very commonly used phrase, but uh, so true in this instance.
0: Well, what's what's interesting, Julie, you know, is as you describe it, is there's a de-risking from the participants' part, but there's also a de-risking from the patient's part. And you talk very early on about the the focus on on the patient. That um, it's not just de-risking it for the companies and the academics involved, but it's ensuring that you don't get stuck on one path, but you have multiple options because the end focus is that patient. So. Uh, be risking has a number of different facets to to the gem. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. In the pharmaceutical industry, alliances and work is a very uh, extraordinarily technical. You know, most of the people I've encountered um, have degrees, multiple degrees, advanced degrees, years and years of experience. Um, so I think that the outsider can look in and re- and and sort of feel that this is a a, a a very very technical. Follow the rules. Use the recipe. Type thing, but it's actually carried out by human beings, as both of you have pointed out. And some of that de-risking is around the human side. Steve, I know you've you've put together some thoughts about a particular alliance um, and the challenges of doing that extraordinarily technical work in a human setting, in an organizational setting. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, one of the uh, one of the programs that you're involved in?
2: Yes, uh, so I've been involved in uh, a as- uh, relationship with Aztec Pharmaceuticals, um, where we've had an alliance for num- a number of years. And actually that started um, before I joined Newcastle University around a single project. And it's just what we've been talking about is about de-risking something. An academic um, in Newcastle or t- a couple of academics came together um, to talk about uh, a target called FGFR. Um, which is fibroblast fibroblast growth factor receptor. Um, And they hypothesized that actually you needed a selective inhibitor, and there weren't any selective inhibitors at that time. And they contacted Aztecs and decided to um, produce a collaboration just around that. Um, And as part of that, they developed inhibitors that helped to de-risk the fact that you could get selective compounds. And they did work in models against cancers that were driven by FGFR. and Aztecs then used that to work with Janssen to develop an inhibitor that became the first FGFR inhibitor inhibitor to be registered by the FDA. So that's now used to treat bladder
0: cancer patients. So that yeah, how, If you give Steve, if you could, how how big a deal is that? I mean, again, someone who doesn't, who's not down into the the weeds, you speak of it as a, as if it's a big deal. Could you, could you give a little bit of context for how big a deal that is? It it
2: it is a big deal because because
0: as as Julie alluded to, this is very
2: difficult um, in terms of the complexity of treating cancer. Um, when you talked about the patient, actually, one of the big changes is trying to predict very early on the patient type and the subset of the disease that will be, respond to your therapy. So you can really take that therapy into those early clinical trials and, and know that you think you've got the best cohort of people that are gonna respond. And for those that aren't going to respond, you can offer them alternative therapies so there's an, an awful lot of um complexity about choosing the right target knowing that it's going to be relevant technically can you interfere with it Um, then can you get the right properties and that can fall over at, at any stage um you know we can you can find some weird toxicity that's not even re- that you didn't know about because you, it's never been interfered with in, in that way this target um, and so there's there's all this complexity that you have to overcome so and you can find things, just surprises that you get in clinical development as well. Um, maybe the plasma kin- kinetics aren't what you thought it would be, so it doesn't have the right properties to inhibit the target for long enough. Um, so all, all of these hurdles. So when something actually makes it m- and gets through, I think that is a big deal. I, I've known people in industry that have worked on therapeutic approaches for their whole career, fantastic scientists, but they've just been unlucky enough that the programs they worked on didn't actually make it to market. Um, so for some, for something like that for um you know a, a university academic group um to be involved and help that I think was a big deal. Um and it was on the basis of that actually that then aztecs came back and said well actually do you want to do this again but maybe we'll work across you know four or five projects so it's a portfolio of projects. Um and, I, you know, at the time, I think that was a pretty bold move. There weren't many industries going around looking for big multi-project deals, but it's worked out exceedingly well. It enables you to balance that risk across programmes as well, because, you know, they might fold at any time and you can bring bring other things in. Um, and it gives you the industry additional peer review on the projects. Work very closely together. So at all in all disciplines at all levels we have real good integrated teams and this started as an experiment in 2012. Um, we on the basis of this have also um, put an, another inhibitor into clinical trial um, which is isn't being tested currently um, and we've just signed another five-year deal so this will now be 15 years that up to 15 years that this alliance has been going so you know, I think a great success. And it's a it's about that really integrated teamwork um, yeah. and the science. You know, it's just sure. the, the science and the energy.
0: Um, it's worked really well. Well, that's what's what's interesting about that to me is the fact that having achieved a particular success opened people's minds to saying, well, maybe we can try something bigger. Um, yeah. And it's not a, it's not an end point, but it's an interview. OK, good. Success one. Let's now look for two, three and four. Um, Julie, you and I have talked a bit, um, and as we move towards the end of the podcast, um, at the recent ASAP Biopharmaceutical Summit, um, I was talking to someone about alliance management. And it was a cynic, uh, a little bit of a cynical point of view, and said, well, really, in the end, it's the science that matters. And, you know, the alliance management can make people happier, but good science will win and bad science won't. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, can you talk a little bit, you know, you told me some fun stories about the, the people you work with and and trying to get the people to do the science in the interests of the patients.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it takes a lot of different um, types of people, capabilities, personalities to, to get to the end point. Um, and within our organization, I mean, as an alliance manager, we work incredibly closely with our what we call our alliance Leads, so they are they are managing the science. But you know, to get uh, a successful alliance delivering, you have to have an eye on that stakeholder management, the relationship aspects to support that. There's a whole host of um, business agreements that underpin the alliance management. That you know, we always say we hope we don't have to go back and actually turn the pages and read. But you know, if we've got something as that as a good foundation there that's the supporting network um you know working within the the governance aspects of an alliance to help that decision making but it's also important that um in an alliance management role you're kind of trying to to look uh to the future and um you know identify where there might be potential issues risks and Solve them before they ever get to that point, and be quite creative in how you are finding solutions. Be very pragmatic as well about how you find solutions. And when you've got strong relationships, good trust with your partners, you work together to get to that point. Um, As I say, what we work on is is generally very novel and, and high risk, and only with those sorts of relationships can you can you really achieve what we need to achieved. so, yes, I think um, it's the partnership of of yeah. the science and the alliance management that need to go yeah. hand in hand to make this successful.
0: Yep, those those human beings can can make things complicated. Well, thank you both very much. I'd, I'd like to leave a little bit of room at the end. You know, clearly, as you work with people, it sounds like uh, you prove yourselves to them. And for the you know, the Aztec example, Steve, um, you know, one success leads to others. Is there something each of you would like? folks who don't know you well to know a little bit more about cancer research horizons as they think about, you know, reasons to reach out to you or reasons to learn from your model, even if it's not in uh, necessarily the uh, the cancer research space. Why don't we start, Steve, with you and we'll go to Julie. How's that sound for a deal?
2: Yeah, I think um, it would be, you know, we're very open to discussing any sort of collaboration that, that would make sense. And it might be yeah, just to reach out to us if there's a certain area of, of biology or, or uh, an interest that they have, we're very open to discussing that at a very early stage. Um, we we do that we do that frequently, and all all types of partnership are possible as well. So it's not that we have a, a fixed template for for what that partnership and what that team can look like. Um, so yeah, just really to reach out to us.
1: Really? Yeah. And to build on that, I mean, we're just we're very keen to collaborate, to work with partners who really do share our vision and passion to tackle cancer. Um, very flexible in the way that we are operating. I mean, we're kind of expanding in the different types of models that we operate. We're even looking at uh, taking on later stage assets to help develop them into the clinic. So in licensing opportunities, um, we are building our own uh, alliance theme ideas in-house but we are very open to partners coming to us and saying they have a particular interest and then we can scout our network to try and build something more um expansive through that type of approach so yes come do come and reach out and talk to us
0: fantastic um very exciting and and you know first i, I want to thank you from I think all the listeners, and also from BTD Consulting, for taking the time to do this. I, you know, I hope more people will listen to it. It's an exciting area, um, an area that matters to everyone, um, certainly at some point in time, but uh, increasingly so. Um, I suppose if I were Melvin Bragg with the In Our Time podcast, uh, I would now have Dylan come in and offer tea or coffee to the two of you. I'm afraid I can't do that uh, electronically, but but thank you both very much for making the time and putting in the effort to be prepared. This was clearly not an accidental. You'll walk in off the street and uh, put your ideas together. A lot of thinking went into this, and and I'm grateful for you doing that and look forward to uh, continuing the discussion. Thank you, Nick. Nick. Thank you.